Right, good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, or whenever you are listening. It's great to be joining you this morning, this afternoon, this evening. What a pleasure and privilege it is to be able to share God's word with you. So believe it or not, it's only four and a half weeks till Christmas, and I have not started our shopping yet. I wonder if you have. I know my daughter-in-law has two Christmas trees up already. It's funny how we can associate certain Christmas gifts with certain people. And for me, one of the gifts that I associate with our son is this. The Guinness Book of World Records. A regular stocking filler, he would spend ages poring over the pages and then punctuate our mealtimes with, did you know, followed by the great, the good, and the downright weird of human achievement. Did you know, for example, that Dalibar Yablanovich can balance 31 spoons on his face for a full five seconds? And that Brittany Walsh fired an arrow 12.31 meters, hit a target almost dead center, while standing on her hands and manipulating the bow with her feet? I'm sure you were well-versed in all of these amazing achievements. You see, we're kind of obsessed with achievement. As a teacher, that's my day job, when I'm giving back a piece of assessed work, there will often be that question of, who got the highest mark, miss? People are obsessed with knowing who's the best, the brightest, or the most beautiful. In sport, who's this season's MVP? Or who is the greatest of all time? By the way, if we're talking about tennis, it's absolutely got to be Roger Federer. We rank ourselves against others. How many qualifications can I get? How many letters can I get after my name? How many likes on Facebook or Twitter? How big a house, fast a car, or how much money in the bank can I get? It's all about trying to be the best, or at least trying to make ourselves feel that we are. Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but the reality is that no amount of effort, strategizing, or accomplishment is ever going to get you anywhere near being the best. Because when all is said and done, that place is already taken. And in today's installment of the epic drama of Exodus, we're going to see exactly why that is. So first of all, let's just have a very quick recap. The Israelites had been in dire straits. They were oppressed, they were enslaved, and they'd lived through these awful, awful plagues that had decimated Egypt. They'd been told to paint lamb's blood on their door frames to survive the coming of the angel of death and to trust a bearded old man with a big stick whilst they faced a sea up to 220, sorry, 220 miles wide while being chased by the entire armed forces of Egypt. This is not some fairly tame episode of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And it's in that moment that the Lord Almighty powerfully and decisively intervenes. They are miraculously saved and their enemies are literally swept away. And so today we get to their response to all that God has done in Exodus 15. And this is what we read. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. 
I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. At the breath, blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The surging water stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters became hard. The enemy boasted, I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them. I will flash my sword. My powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, reserved for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. What an amazing expression of praise as the Israelites sang and the women danced together as they rejoiced and delighted in their salvation. So what can we learn from their response, particularly in this time where our worshipping together in this very corporate way, is restricted. Why have this exuberant outpouring of praise and rejoicing? And how can we get there in this time? Well, the first thing that we need to notice is that the Israelites knew that they had been saved and set free. They knew that they had been saved from certain death. As the song says, chariots to the left of them, Red Sea to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with a guy called Moses. Yet the Lord had intervened and saved them. They had every reason possible to be delighted and relieved. After all, they had made it to the other side, every single one of them. And after over 400 years of being slaves to the Egyptians, they were now free. As I was reading and preparing, I got to wonder what Moses must have been thinking as he lifted his voice in song. Obviously, an amazing thing had just happened. 
But I wonder if he also recalled how he had been saved from certain death from a river before, as a tiny baby set adrift in a basket, and how he had escaped punishment for killing an Egyptian overseer, and the Lord had preserved him, giving him a second chance, and how the Lord had called him from a burning bush while he was out with sheep, out in the wilderness, the back of beyond. There was a powerful and compelling relationship between Moses and the Lord Almighty. He had every reason to sing his song of praise. And the reality is, so do we. I've been reflecting on why sometimes it's hard to give our all in praise. And I wonder, could it be that we need to remember more often that we've been saved and set free? That really challenged me. And it made me think back to a Saturday evening in November 1979 in a church hall in my hometown where I realized that Jesus loved me so much that he had died for me. Where I stood with tears streaming down my face knowing that I was saved and set free. Where I realized that life was no longer about my performance, my efforts to fix my life or please God, but all about his great grace to me. As many of you will know, uh, Richard and I now run our Join in the Family course at home, and we seriously can't wait to be able to do that again very soon. But every time we do it, the best bit is when our guests share their stories of how Jesus has encountered them, saved them, and set them free. Everybody's story is different, but every story brings thankfulness and praise. Perhaps some of you watching know that you need to be saved and set free. If that's you, we would love to talk with you about that. And you can type a message on Facebook or YouTube even now. Start that conversation, start that journey. Perhaps some of you know, a bit like I reflected on this week, that we've lost sight of the fact that we're saved and set free. Take some time this week to think back and to be thankful for what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Think back to when the Lord has brought you through testing times, bereavement, anxiety, sickness, financial need, and he's delivered you safely. Turn your heart and your voice again to praise. As David prayed in Psalm 51, Ask the Lord to restore to you the joy of your salvation and to unseal your lips so that you can praise him. You see, when we remember that we've been saved and set free, it releases a spirit of rejoicing. Isn't that amazing? But this part of the Exodus story also shows us that the Israelites knew exactly who it was who had saved them. Now, I guess many of us have worked with or played sport with people who like to take credit for more than their contribution to a project or a game. And you know, it could have been quite easy for the Israelites to credit Moses 
with having saved the day. You know, to have said, did you see how calm Moses was as the army was coming behind us? Oh, that moment when he lifted up his staff over the edge of the sea and it started to divide, that was incredible. They could have turned Moses into the hero of the story. But instead, they focused their praise on the one who had saved them. You see, at no point in this song did they turn their attention anywhere other than on the Lord and what he had done. They recognised just how powerful the Lord is. And the reason for that was because of what they'd seen and been a part of, which meant that they could be in no doubt at all that it was him who had acted. You see, in verse 1 and verse 4, they talked about how, or they sang about how God had hurled the Egyptian armies into the sea. We can just about manage to throw a stone in the sea. In verse 7, how God's righteous anger had frazzled up the Egyptians like fire does straw. We need matches to do that. And in verse 8, why one breath from the Lord parts the seas, the waters are held back and with another breath he brings them crashing down again. Our most powerful breath is a sneeze. I'm sure that will be in the Guinness Book of World Records somewhere. And it's because of this, it's because of their focus on who it is who has done the saving and the how he's done it, that they can declare in verse 11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Let's just think about that for a moment. Who is like you? You, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Just let that settle in your spirit for a moment. You see, the Israelites declared in verse 2, This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And their God is our God. This is our God. This is my God. It seems to be very fashionable these days for people to want others to be like them, to think like them, to act like them, to have the same opinions as them. I wonder, have we translated that into our view of God? Have we been too busy making God in our own image to conform to our views, our opinions, our wants, our desires, that we forget that in actual fact, we were the ones made in his image? Perhaps our view of the Lord is too safe. Perhaps he wants to get our attention again as to just how awesome in splendor he really is. Many of you will have read the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And C.S. Lewis put it beautifully when Lucy, one of the children, asked Mr. Beaver whether Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus in the story, is safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. 
but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And this is our God. This is my God, mighty, powerful and awesome. But there's another dimension to that outpouring of praise and rejoicing. They also remember that the Lord who had saved them hasn't just intervened in this moment. He had always been intervening and would continue to intervene because they were his chosen people. In verse 13, we see them sing, With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed, brought back, made his own, and you guide them to your sacred home. And later in verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, reserved for your own dwelling. You see, God hasn't just shown up for a few moments in this critical moment, put on the firework display and then gone home. He loves them. He leads them. He brought them out of their slavery. He has a special place ready for them. This is our God. This is my God loving us, leading us, taking us home. And we know that now we have Jesus, who is the one who does that for us. So how can we respond to this amazing reminder of who God is and what God's done? So in preparing uh, this, this message for today, I really felt God say that we need to be a people of declaration. Just two weeks ago, our daughter Alice got married to Jack and it was a fantastically joyful occasion. They made public declarations in front of their families and their friends watching on Zoom, oh, oh for a pre-lockdown wedding, of their intentions to love one another, to give themselves to one another and to forsake all others for life. And in that context, in that moment, we perhaps don't quite think of how bold a statement that is. Maybe those of us who've been married for a while realise exactly how bold a statement that is. But you see, it occurred to me that we can't make silent or invisible declarations. There's a guy we know, Richard Gamble, who has made it his mission to make a very visible national declaration of who God is and what he has done to build the eternal wall of answered prayer right in the heart of the UK. He has the land just outside Coleshill in Warwickshire, adjacent to the M6 and the M42. The designs are approved and he has the planning permission now too. Everyone who uses those motorways is going to see this declaration of who God is and what he has done. And if you're interested, you can be a part of that. You can just go and check out their website. Now, we may not be called to build a national monument. Uh, I'm sure I wouldn't get very far in uh, building anything. But I do sense that the Lord is calling us to be people who will boldly and unashamedly declare that he is the one who saves people and sets them free, that he is mighty and powerful loving 
and ever-present, just as the Israelites did in this moment. So how can we do that? How can we be a people of declaration? Well, perhaps the place to start is to go back to the stories of God's mighty acts and his promises to us. Just as this book tells us of human achievement, so this book reminds us of who the Lord is, how he acts and intervenes. Let's read again and be stirred by the greatness of God and the amazing promises that he makes to his people. Let me encourage you to share stories with one another. You know, we may not be able to meet together in this big room here in the way that we would like to, but we can still encourage one another. We can still call, we can still video call. We can have our groups of six meeting online. Tell one another your stories of answered prayer, of divine appointments and of seeing God at work. Tell one another the stories of God at work that you've read or heard about, maybe in the UK, maybe somewhere else in the world. How about telling again the story of how you were saved and set free? Also be determined in setting your heart on praising the Lord, no matter what the circumstances are. Recognizing that it is him who sustains you, helps you and has brought you through the difficulties of life. This is our God and we will praise him. This is my God and I will praise him. When I look back and think about how he's helped me through bereavement of close family members, how he's provided for us when we had little, of how he's answered prayers and intervened in difficult circumstances at home, with family, at work. He is awesome. He is our God and we will praise him. It's time to be bold, church. It's not about us. It never has been. It's about him, it's about his glory, and it's about his kingdom coming here on earth, just as it is in heaven. I really hope that that's encouraged you to see that actually we need to be a people who remember that we've been saved and set free. We need to remember who it is who saved us, and then to be a people who boldly, courageously, and unashamedly declare who it is who has done the work for us already. So let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for reminding us that it is you and you alone who saves us and sets us free. Thank you for reminding us again that you are mighty and powerful, ready and able to act at just the right time for the world to see you as you are. Thank you that you love us and lead us and catch us up in your plans and purposes. And right now we say we will be a people of praise, boldly declaring who you are and what you have done. Holy Spirit, encounter us as we read the stories, as we share our stories, and let us be determined in lifting high the name of the Lord in our homes and our workplaces, in Bedford 
and beyond. Let us be a people who unashamedly own the name of Jesus. And Lord, if there are those here today listening to this who know that they need to be saved and set free, I pray, Lord, that they would just now open themselves up to you. And if that's you, perhaps you'd just like to pray this prayer with me. God, I know that I need you. I know that I need saving and setting free. I know that I can't accomplish much on my own. I know that I have my struggles and my difficulties in my life. But I recognise that actually there is a way for me to be saved and set free. And Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Help me put my hand in your hand. Help me find out more about what it means to follow you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, do get in touch with us. I trust that that will encourage you to be a people of declaration, not just today, this week, but as we move forward, church, into all that God has for us.